Because you don't know become due is if you want to be forgotten, be negative. Well, I'm not getting there, brother. So they murmured and complained. They whined and griped about the manna from heaven. Here's the problem with them and the problem with many Christians this morning. God got them out of Egypt, but he couldn't get Egypt out of them. People that are saved, and even got the Spirit of God in their lives, but they still like they're in bondage. They murmured, they whined, they griped, they complained. Here's another thing the writer says about them. It says that they hardened their heart toward God. You see, you can sit in the midst of blessing, and the things of God can become commonplace to you. I remember back in the day of Winston, there was a man, a businessman, who came to the Lord, got saved at, at our church, and if I mentioned his name, uh, Brother Register would know. All he could do is weep when he walked into the door and sat in, the, in our sanctuary as the worship went on. He just wept in the presence. He never felt anything like that in his life. But you know, two years later, he stopped crying. You know why? Because it's all commonplace now. It's so easy for the things of God to become commonplace. You see, they got a miracle every day. Did you? A miracle became commonplace. And they whined about the miracle. Their hearts became hardened toward the things of God. And the result is they never possessed what God had for them. Here's what the psalmist said about them. The psalmist David said they limited the Holy One of Israel. I want you to listen to that. The God who spoke the worlds into existence can be limited by you. I want to go on record and mess with somebody's theology this morning who says, well, God's going to do whatever he's going to do. Really? I read somewhere you have to choose life. This is not case of Rasa whatever will be, will be. You make choices every day about whether you're going to live. You make choices every day about whether you're going to be victorious. You make choices every day about whether you're going to be what God's called you to be. You make choices every day about your victory. They limited the Holy One of Israel. And one of my concerns one day when I stand in the presence of the Lord will be and say to me, you know, Ron, there's so much more like you've done with you if you don't want to do that. I don't know about you, but I'm going to take the limitations off of God about what he can do with me, about what he can do in my life. A whole nation missed it. And now, Joshua chapter 3, if you got your book with you or a phone or something. Joshua chapter 3. A whole nation of people, the, the, the kids now of that generation are preparing now to cross over that river Jordan that the mamas and daddies never got to. Joshua chapter 3, verse 14, so it was. And the people set out from their camp to cross over the Jordan with the priests bearing the ark of the covenant before the people. And as those who bore the ark came to the Jordan, and the feet of the priests who bore the ark dipped in the edge of the water, for the Jordan overflows all of its banks during the whole time of harvest. That the waters which came down from upstream stood still and rose in a heap very far away in Adam, the city that is beside Zeratim. So the waters that went down into the sea of the Arab of the Salt Sea failed and were cut off. And the people crossed over opposite Jericho. 
Then the priest who bore the ark of the covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan, and all of Israel crossed over on dry ground until all the people had crossed completely over the Jordan. Well, it's about time. A whole nation, a new nation under Joshua's leadership now gets to cross over. God has a plan and a promise for everybody in this room today. How many believe God's got a plan for your life? I know he does. And if you're going to possess 2020, you're going to possess what God has for your life in this new year. There are three or four principles that are going to be important for you. Uh, Why don't you go ahead and plan to write these down just in case they're important. Here's number one. If you're going to possess tomorrow, you must have an eternal perspective. You must have an eternal perspective. An eternal perspective means that you see what really is important. You see what matters. One day this building will be gone. One day the seats will be gone. One day your house will be gone. One day the car you drive or truck you drive will be gone. The only thing that lasts forever are people. I went through a box in my garage recently. And on the side of the box it said, Art Stop, Moving and Storage. Art Stop moved me in 1974 from San Jose, California to Springfield, Missouri. That box was transferred to three different homes in Missouri. Loaded on a truck and taken to North Carolina. Where it was in three houses in North Carolina. Loaded on a truck and taken to Atlanta, Georgia. It was in two houses in Atlanta. Loaded back on a truck and brought back to North Carolina, where it's been sitting for the last 18 years. Never been opened. Don't act so pious. You know what I'm talking about. And Brother Register finally opened it. You know what was in it? Stuff. Some of you right now are the reason storage companies are making billions of dollars off us. We need more room for our stuff. And if you laid awake this past week, one night worried about your stuff, I'm going to ask God to forgive you for that. Because your stuff doesn't matter, honey. What matters is what's eternal. And what's eternal is the destiny of people. You see, God has designs and plans for every one of us. Our minds can become so preoccupied with the immediate concerns and the frustrations and all the things that happen in life. And what the Holy Spirit wants us to do is refocus our priorities. There's a difference between substance and stuff. And God doesn't mind you having stuff. He just doesn't want stuff having you. Schedule for a routine, or your favorite surgery. You know, you go in the day before, they do the blood work, and check your lungs, and see if you're clear from anesthesia. God did that. I was going to have a surgery repair done. You know, they call these things procedures. I don't know about you, but when, I, when they come on me, I call that cancer. I mean, 
next day, scales. The next day, biopsies. One of the longest weeks of my life brought me to a Friday morning. And my doctor called me and he said, Pastor, you have a lymphoma cancer. It's through your whole body. You have two tumors in your chest the size of brain. son who's named Caleb and when he was 18 months old he was able to take this iPhone and flick it open with his little thumb and scroll to the app he wanted and make a snowball 18 months old when I was 18 months old I was still trying to find my pacifier some folks that got gray hair like me today, and I want to say to you, you can't stop learning and growing. Let me go ahead and irritate you further. You can't retire from the work of God. 
after I run into seniors and well, you know, I put in my time. Really? As long as you're alive and breathing, there's something to do for Jesus. You can retire from whatever company you work for. You can retire from doing dishes. And you can retire from cooking. But you can't retire from the work of God. As long as you're alive, as long as you're breathing, honey, there's something to do for Jesus. In my church, the shut-ins had a ministry. I don't care how young you are. I don't care how old you are. You've been gifted by God. He has put gifts in your life to be used for his glory. And until you're done, you're not done. God didn't just keep you alive for your grandkids. He kept you alive to do something for Jesus. Retirement is not an option from the work of God. You got to keep learning and growing. I said you got to keep learning and growing. My friend John Maxwell, who I worked with for many, many years, wrote a book called The Success Journey. And he said three things about success that I think are important. First of all, he says, if you're going to be successful in life, you must first know your calling. What is it you've been called to do? What is it you're called to do in life? Some of you have, have an incredible job, incredible vocation. That's part of your calling, but your calling is also to be a member of the kingdom of God and to do something for his church. Knowing what you've called to do. Secondly, success has to do with reaching toward your potential in God. Nobody in this room today has reached your potential for God. I said nobody has. Churches where I see are great people. Did you know the church can't get any better than the folks in the room today? Well, the good news is it can't get any worse. And I see. You know, people come up to you all the time and say, You know, Pastor, this church ought to be more friendly. I said, Well, go ahead. I'm not the church. You are. I'm just finishing my ninth interim pastorate. We got a new pastor elected last Sunday. So I pastor constantly. But here's what I know. If you want First Assembly to get better, you need to get better. <laughs> pastor Register's not this church. You are. Well, this church will be doing more for missions. We'll go for it. You're it. you got to keep learning. you got to keep growing. None of us have arrived yet towards your potential in God and none of us have yet. Oh, the amens are driving me out here. Here's the third thing. You're going to be successful in your life. You've got to be willing to invest in other people. You've got to be willing to invest in other people. You see, it's not about you, sister. It's about other people. Who are you investing your life in? Put your phone down for just a second. Listen to me. I know you're talking to the rest of the world, but I need your time and attention right now. Everybody here? 
know your body shit. I'm drawing out the rest of you. successful, you got to know what you're called to do. I'm, I'm probably going harder today than I've gone in 20 years. I was in four cities last week. I'm going night and day. You know what? I'm not going to burn out. People say, you're going to burn out. No, I'm not going to burn out. I'm going to get tired, but I'm not going to burn out. You, say, you know what burns you out? Doing things that you don't enjoy doing. What burns you out is doing things that drain your emotional energy. But when you're doing what God's called you to do, it's renewal, it's refreshing, it's exciting.
we used to hang on what people said every Sunday. I mean, and you're as good as your last sermon. Because people, people tell you, they love you one week and hate you the next. But thank God he and I both learned that you don't get to decide our value. The Lord decides our value. Listen to what God says. And God had made promises to this generation, mamas and daddies. He had made promises to them, and now that promise is transferred to a new generation. And that promise is for us today as we possess the tomorrow God has for us. Here's what the Lord had said to them. Now is the time to possess your tomorrow. Say not for much, and then comes harvest, the Lord says. For I say, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white under harvest. Now, if you've been waiting for the right time to get in ministry, this is it. 2020 is it. If you've been waiting for, you see, I don't know what the percentages are in this great church, but I want to tell you, in most churches, about 30% of the people in the church are active in ministry. Can you imagine what happened? Paul, Paul uses the church as, as the analogy of a body. He says, every one of us are parts of that body and function in that body. So if only 30% of First Assembly is in active involved in ministry, that means only an arm and a leg is going nonstop. And the rest of the body's paralyzed. I've got a dream for this great church. And here's my dream. Is that all the body parts will start functioning. I said all the parts will start functioning, headed in the same direction under one vision, not your own agenda, but what God's calling this church to do. If we can get all on the same page, do what God's called us to do, and we can get all the pieces and all the parts functioning, headed in the same direction, there's not a devil in hell can stop this church. Some of you are just sitting there going, I'm so glad I came today to mess with you. Because one of my ministries is to afflict the comfortable, and I pray it's working. That's God's plan. Because everybody in this church has been called. Everybody has gifts to give. You say, Ron, you don't know me, I don't have any gifts. No, I don't know you, but I know God. Unless you evolve from a tadpole to a polywog to a frog, you've been gifted by God. And he wants to use those gifts for his glory. Listen to what God says. Now is the time. Say it with me. Now is the time. Here's the second thing the Lord said. You are able to do what I called you to do. Greater is he that is in me than he that's in the world. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I am ready for anything. I am equal to anything through him who infuses his strength in me. Whatever God's called you to do, he will give you the ability to do it. We're able. Now is the time. Come on, say it. We are able. Here's the third thing the Lord said to them. He said, the Lord delights in you. Did you know the Lord loves you? Did you know he's committed to you? Did you know he wants you to succeed? Did you know he didn't call you to fail? See, I grew up in my daddy's church. I 
parents pastored some of the Oh My God churches for 55 years. But unfortunately, Brother Register would know, uh, I knew what God didn't like, I just didn't know what God was like. I knew, I knew all the things you weren't supposed to do. You don't, don't, don't do this, you don't do this, you don't do this, and you don't go with girls who do that. I, I had that down. And then when I used to sneak off with the deacon's kids, I knew what God didn't like, I just didn't know what God was like. It was later that I discovered how much he loved me, how much he was committed to me. You know, I grew up in New Orleans, Cajun country. My mom is Cajun French. She's 92 and uh, living in a nursing home down south, and she's running that place. She told me the other day, she said, son, I, I just hate living with these old people. She also told me on the phone, she said, you know, we had a little problem at the bingo game, and now we got assigned seats. They're fighting over sugar-free cookies, for God's sake. I grew up in New Orleans. And we used to play uh, baseball every afternoon after school. We, you know, this sewer pipe drainage cover was, was first base. That one in the middle of the street was second base. And then there was the one over here on the other side that was third base. But probably the, the trauma of my life was every day when we picked teams. Baseball was not my thing. But you know, I wanted to be included. So the two best players were the captains of the teams, and they picked their teams. One after the other. I'll take him, I'll take him, I'll take him, I'll take him, I'll take him. And then came the dreaded moment. Who's going to take McManus? He told Joshua that you, you put your foot is a place I've already given you. The victory's already been won. Does anybody understand that? But we sang about battle this morning, but I want to tell you, there is a battle that goes on, but it's a battle to possess the victory that God has already won for us. 
You see, the devil doesn't realize he's defeated, so you have to remind him of that. The Bible says he acts like a roaring lion, but he's toothless. And they're Christians that let the devil dumb them to death. When are you going to stand your ground? They say, devil, you are a defeated foe. There's nothing that you can do to stop the progress of what God's planning to do in my life. The enemy is helpless before you. Those giants out there, they don't even compare to the grace and power of who I am. The enemy is helpless before you. Those are the promises. Now is the time. Come on. We are able. The Lord delights in us. The enemy's helpless before us. So what are you waiting for? One more thing. I knew you knew there was one more thing. If you're going to possess tomorrow, you've got to get your feet wet. I read to you the passage of Scripture that said that the Jordan River is at flood stage at this moment. And the Lord says, the rivers at flood stage cross now. Cross now. You see, there's a time of the year that the, the river Jordan is like a babbling brook. You can almost cross it hardly get wet. But the Bible specifically says it's at flood stage. And the Lord says, I want you to cross now. You see, most churches would form a committee and study this. Pastor, Dad, the economics don't look good. You know, we're going to have a crash here. Or, you know, just not favorable. Excuse me. The Church of Jesus Christ does not operate on the basis of what the wind is blowing in this world. The Lord says, cross now. You see, God wants to do something so incredible in your life can't take credit for it. The river's at flood stage. And the Lord says, now. Now. Step into the raging river. Because the miracle won't happen until you do. You see, I can take you, we don't have time today, for me to take you through every situation where a miracle happened in the scripture where somebody had to do something for that miracle to take place. Remember five loaves and two fish? That's all they had. And Jesus had the nerve to say, go ahead and distribute those to 5,000 people. Excuse me? One, two, three, four, five. Five loaves, two fish. They prayed over it, and the word said distribute. See, the miracle didn't happen in the prayer circle. The miracle happened when they actually started distributing bread and fish, foolishness in man's sight, but miraculous in God's sight. I might as well get this yet. When you make the step of faith to do what God's saying do, that's when the waters part. 
That's where the miracles happen. They gave me the most intense chemotherapy formula they could give me, experimental in that day. Six months of the most intense chemo they could give a person. At the end of the six months, my oncologist said, Pastor, uh, there's still stuff in your chest, but we've given you all the chemo we can give you. We can't give you any more. I said, okay. It's 22 years now. It's all right to rejoice in somebody else's blessing over here. That's why I don't complain about birthdays. And I get irritated at people who do. That gal that works for me in our business in North Carolina, and she was going to turn 40, and she, she kept saying to me on the phone, Brother Billy, you know, I just can't believe I'm turning 40. I'm going to turn 40. And I've heard that so many times on the phone, I finally said to her, you don't have to. You just die at 39. Here's what I know this morning. God sent me here to say to somebody in this house that there's a miracle waiting for you. There's somebody in this room this morning that has a physical challenge. And you need a miracle today. There's somebody in this room today that's facing a financial challenge this morning and, and you people in the house that are facing emotional issues and depression and other things that would sabotage your 2020, would sabotage your future. But there's a miracle waiting for you this morning. I said there's a miracle waiting for you this morning. You've seen these people before, haven't you? I said, there's a miracle waiting for you this morning. But it won't happen until you're willing. One more time. It's a raging river. 
say, step out in faith. Step out in faith to receive your miracle. The waters will part when you make that step toward it. When you make that step toward it. Oh, I've set such a presence of the Holy Spirit in this house now. The miracle worker is in the room right now. Would you bow your head with me for just a moment?